0: Yeah, shout out to Howl's Moving Snack for the most <laughs> effective character intro. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he looks so wounded when uh, Mel spills wine. <laughs> yeah, he looks so sad. <laughs> I, I love Ambessa and whoever this motherfucker.
1: Is. I want more he has of him. Need to
0: get a name, and <laughs> I don't want a name. I, I'm just gonna call him Howl's Moving Snack for the rest of time.
1: Welcome to Mortified, The Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron.
0: And I'm Lost Nuts.
1: And this week, we get deep into League of Legends lore with Netflix's Arcane. Before we build a shark nuke, remember you can help us on Mortified, The Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron, firstly, happy New Year! Happy season three!
0: Happy New Year to you too. We spent it together, um, playing Catan.
1: Yes, it was fun. We got weirdly aggro. <laughs> um, it's a it's a competitive game.
0: <laughs> not as aggro as uh, my friend and also your wife.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, the people
0: we brought to the table <laughs> yes. were the most aggro of all.
1: Extremely funny. Um. But more importantly, how do you feel about MOBAs?
0: Um, So I have an anecdote, um, (laughs) which is to say I was telling Marty about this show, um, Arcane, that we are watching, watched. Um, There's a character in Arcane that looks like Junkrat, the character from Overwatch. And the reason I remembered that in conversation with Marty was because they said... Whenever I looked at previews for Arcane, I thought it was a Borderlands thing, just because of the style. And I said, oh yeah, there's a guy in there that looks like Junkrat, you know, from Borderlands. He's not from Borderlands. (laughs) Not really. Um, And Marty says, Junkrat's from Overwatch. And then I got myself even more confused because I couldn't remember if my college roommate was obsessed with Borderlands, Overwatch, or both. And as I was sitting here, trying to say the names of these franchises back to back my mouth wants to jumble them into like border watch i know border watch the
1: right wing moba we've all been waiting for
0: <laughs> i know nothing about mobas i play single player fantasy games so yeah what's your relationship to them uh
1: i spent about 40 minutes trying to get into uh defense of the ancients too um and i was like well this seems stupid Uh, and then I also played, um, a little bit of that new one, the Pokemon, um, is it Pokemon Unite? Um, I don't know. It came out, uh, like in July of, of last year. And I don't know. I just can't get into those, but like League of Legends was absolutely the first, um, like a MOBA I ever heard of. Like people were playing this, like when I was in high school, um, and like, yeah, that sounds right which was like 10 years ago, which is very, it's very strange to me to see like this. I mean, I'm sure League of Legends is still huge. It's clearly, you know, big enough that they can get a whole Netflix special. It made um, 2
0: billion in, I don't know if it made 2 billion, but people spent $2 billion on it last year. I think I saw somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, clearly clearly League of Legends is still uh, alive and kicking, but it was just so weird to be like, they're making a, they're making a what out of what? Um, But like, as it turns out, uh, you can take a uh, fucking lane-defending uh, video game with very, very little lore and turn it into a pretty darn good animated show.
0: Yeah. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Do we want to just, like,
1: get into it? So we are we are set in the steampunk city of Piltover, which is split into two realms, which is the wealthy topside realm uh, and the poor undercity. Uh, and basically, Arcane follows political and social tensions, like through the lens of characters who are who live in one half of, um, you know, these these realms. Uh, the most important are these two sisters, Violet or Vi, and Powder, um, and they try to, you know, are making ends meet by basically like doing odd jobs and robbing people. But the first episode opens with them like robbing this magical workshop from the topside, um, and that causes a lot of trouble. Uh, and there's a big explosion. And then all the rich people are like, ah, all those poors are really causing us a lot of trouble. What if we just sent in all our cops and murdered them? Uh, and then it, a lot of that centers around uh, the, the, the central threat of being destroyed by your militarized state, um, which American viewers um, will definitely sympathize with. Um, but like yeah um they're, they're basically they have this, this adopted dad who is like just this, this big chunky guy who runs this bar his, his name is vander he's great uh he's been holding the undercity together for a while um and he's like hey you guys can't uh piss off the topsiders but he also has this former friend Silco, um who apparently wants the undercity to be like a separate nation entirely the nation of zon uh he instigates this crisis and unfortunately ends up with uh, their adoptive dad dead. Vander dies in this conflict. Um, Violet ends up in prison and Powder um, actually ends up, you know, accidentally, okay. Yeah. Spoilers for Arcane, uh, throughout, um, you know, ends up killing, uh, Vander and a bunch of their friends, like their little thief gang, uh, in an accident. And, and for whatever reason, you know, becomes, uh, Silko's apprentice after this, like his adoptive daughter. Um there's like about a five or ten year time skip, I would say. Um Powder now is going by Jinx. Um and she is helping Silco instigate this war with Topside. Um she draws the attention of a counselor by the name of Jace, who is this uh hex tech which is just magic technology. Um he he is, you know, trying to stop this. He and his adoptive sister Caitlin are working together. She's a cop. Uh, and they're, they're trying to investigate what's going on with these attacks. Uh, Caitlin goes and finds Vi, who is in prison, and breaks her, or not breaks her out. She uses her cop powers to get her released. And then they have um, gay adventures together to try to stop um, Silco from from instigating this war. Um, basically, Jace has this friend whose name is Victor. Um, they are just making these advancements in this magical technology, Hextech, um jace does a lot of politics uh but eventually uh victor's like research into this hex tech technology makes him very sick um and uh that that becomes a problem uh and then basically at the end uh violet and Caitlyn track down silco uh jace is trying to broker this piece trying to be like hey we don't need to invade maybe they should just have their own country um and then in the end, Jinx um, kills Silco, but also uses Jace's hex tech to shoot a uh, mini nuke shaped like a shark at the you know political center of, of topside, um, which we don't really see. It cuts to black before the actual nuke hits, but we assume that's going to be bad for everyone in season two. But um, it's this is a very very plot heavy, character heavy. Uh, show and i'm surprised with the amount of like weird world building and characters and moving elements that they pull it off as well as they did um but uh, honestly it's pretty good
0: yeah uh for sure the one um tiny addendum is that uh victor victor got sick off of the fumes um in the the underside uh so he was yeah he was previously ill the um, thank you Tech was not making him uh sick. Uh, so let's talk about our characters. Uh, s- s- a lot of them. Um, and most of them are good, I think.
1: Yes, um despite despite this big ensemble, they all these characters are distinct and have like pretty interesting personalities. Um so we, we start with Vi. Um if you know anything about Ar- Arcane, you've seen this redhead/you know pink-haired lady with, with big fists her thing is punching and you know i think she's she's perfectly fine at what she does
0: it's so satisfying when she punch she punch real good her um, fight scenes are my
1: favorite in, in this show
0: absolutely one hundred thousand percent um i also i shout out to whoever tweeted this forever ago um But they put up, someone put up the concept art for Vi as she is in League of Legends and then uh, what she looks like in Arcane. And they said something along the lines of, like, what women look like when a man designs them and what women look like when a lesbian designs them. And fucking correct. There were a couple of moments when uh, Vi would do something um, gay or punchy and uh, my brain executed gay.exe and I would just sit at my computer and go, (laughs) Just a giggle. Um, she's great. I love her very much. No notes. Um now powder fresh drinks. <laughs>
1: However, <laughs> there is one small problem with this franchise. Um, and I do believe it it, it is with this character. Um so powder, you know. Th- before the time skip, I think Powers are, Powers are a very good character. Um, you know, she is inexperienced, but like we can see, she's very smart. You know, she's making all these little bombs, uh, but all she's she's like very clearly traumatized by the violence she and her sister have lived through. Like, they watch their parents die. You know, they live in this like rough and tumble undercity where people are always like stealing and fighting. Um, and you know, she has a lot of a lot of trauma. Uh, and you know, she's always like her her friends, um, Milo and Clagger are always just like uh you know, Powder, you're really, you're really letting us down in all these cool jobs. And, you know, at the very end, when her Powder, you know, makes this, ex- this big explosion with this Hextech technology, and it kills Milo, Clagger, and um, Vander, their father, you know, Vi and her get into a big fight, and she's like, you're a Jinx, and that's where she gets her name. Um, and because of all this trauma, Jinx... I mean... <sighs> She's straight up mentally ill, right? Like, I think she just, like, has psychosis and, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, I don't think that's, you know, pat- pathologizing the character. I think it's just patently true. Um, but they, because she gets adopted by the bad guy, she turns into a fucking Harley Quinn and not not in the recent suicide squad but the the bad suicide squad one where she's daddy's little monster and um it's it's really really frustrating because i really like this character but we have to stop being like oh if someone has psychosis they're you know they're sweet but a psycho we love that for for them and it's just like leila what do you think
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, Arcane has um, limitations in the sense that it has to get these characters to the point in which, like, League players know them, and Jinx was not really designed with a meaningful backstory in mind, I don't think, Um, because when you look at her art, she just looks like, you know, like an unhinged, like, area Of effect damage, like bomber character. Like, that's the point they had to get her to. And, um, yeah, it's uncomfortable to watch because it's, you know, at first it's like, okay, yeah, maybe when she hits rock bottom, like this portrayal, you know, they're trying to do something inventive with it, with her always like getting flashbacks of Milo and Clagger and like hearing them. Um, and, you know, like, like occasionally she's like sees the. It's just yeah i yeah it, it <sighs> i don't think there's anything else they could have done is the problem yeah because they had to get jinx to the point of who she is in league
1: i think that's that's a very good point and, and thank you for bringing that up because like that is the limitation of building a property off of something that's already 10 years old is like whatever scrap of lore you have it's like oh i don't know that this lore is is great um but you know, if you're gonna stick with the IP, you have to unfortunately bring out those those portrayals. You know, I do. You know, I wish they maybe did something that didn't involve psychosis. Like, I I think it's I think it's very a very difficult line to walk because like I think that people with psychosis do deserve to be portrayed in media, but like it is invariably always this. Um, and you know, I I unfortunately am not you know don't have any <laughs> really deep knowledge of what it's like to live with psychosis or you know i can't speak on that especially well but i do think that i would suspect that other you know people with with that disability are not thrilled about this portrayal
0: um yeah i mean like we don't even have to get that deep into it i think i think it could be as simple as people with psychosis deserve to be portrayed without their psychosis being a plot device
1: yes thank you that's that's perfect um but I, I, either way, though, I do I think her her storyline and motivations are the best. In in this, I really like her character quite a lot, even in spite of all that. So, you know, it's a frustrating thing. But um, we'll talk about Jigs more. I think. Um, how do you feel about Jace?
0: Um, uh, the, the bisexual disaster. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> yeah. lunatic. He is yeah. codependent and impatient, which is bad.
1: Yeah. Um. Let's. Let's talk about him with Victor because what you surprised me because you're like oh there there's queer baiting in Arcane and what I was thinking about was you talking about um, Vi and Caitlyn and I was like everything I've seen on Twitter has been really pro Vi and Caitlyn I don't know what you're talking about um, and then I was reading your notes and I was like oh you're talking about the other people who are definitely a little like. I don't know how this is not queer quoting. Uh, you wrote some lines down. It was like, ah, okay, these, these two men are in love.
0: Yeah, okay, so here's my problem with Jason Victor. Um, I am, listen, y'all, I'm too old for fandom. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not too old for fandom, I in that. I am too old to get personally invested in um, getting queer baited. Like it no longer makes me angry. Like I just don't have the capacity for it anymore. Um, but I was watching this, knowing, like, friends of mine are very, like, deeply into this pairing, and, like, I knew there was a fandom built around it, but just, like, with Promare a couple years ago, I don't believe it till I see it. And so I was watching this, and I was like, maybe people are reading too far into it, you know, like, maybe there's, like, moments being taken out of context, I want to see for myself. No, these are, these, yeah, they just met, and Jace puts his hand on victor's shoulder and he's like because victor's like this is your hextech dream and Jason's like no this is our hextech dream and then he goes to like has to make a speech at some point when mel is like getting him to be a politician and he put he met like in the scene before mel puts her hand on his chest to like come on to him, and he looks so stiff and awkward, and he's just standing there. He has no idea what to do with this very hot lady coming on to him. And then, and then, literally, it cuts to the next scene, and he puts his arm around Victor, and he's like, "You should come up there with me because we're partners." And Victor gets really flustered and starts stammering. He goes, "Oh my god, not in front of all those people!" I'm like, "You gay disaster! What is happening?" I think the worst one for me, the funniest one, was um. And I'm not even mentioning them floating together and refusing to come down. The mm-hmm. funniest one is where Victor goes to this, like, sketchy old man in a cave he used to study with. And uh, he's like <laughs> he offers him, like, modified drugs to do his, like, weird science experiment shit so he's not dying. Um, and <laughs> he goes... <laughs> Because <clears throat> the, the scientist goes, um, that's the cost of progress, is love and legacy, which is a pretty metal line. And and Victor goes, Jace will understand. Cut to Jace, shirtless in a forge. I'm like, what? What is happening? Because <laughs> Jace is fucking mal on screen. We'll talk about it. It's like... It is unhinged. And, like, Jace is a fine character. I don't love him. I don't hate him. Um, you wrote down steampunk Elon, steampunk Elon Musk, which I think is correct, um, with maybe, like, I don't know. Maybe he's, like, the, the good version of that because he's really yeah. does try to help people. But... <laughs> um, Everyone projects something they want out of him onto him, and he just becomes that thing for them. And he's too impatient to, like, really think or assess. Like, even Mel's mom comes in in literally the last two episodes, and in a second he's molded to, like, what she wants him to be. So it's really interesting to watch. Um, I'm excited to see the consequences of his actions in season two.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I, I think you're right. I think uh, alone he's, like, a pretty you know, boilerplate character, but his interactions with other characters make him very interesting.
0: Which, speaking um, of, like, sp- league designs, y'all, Google Google <laughs> what this man looks like in that game,
1: please. Yeah, it is night and day between, like, him in, in Arcane looks like, you know, like a, you know, steampunk businessman, but, like, you know, with a white blazer. In League of Legends, he looks like a Warhammer soldier. It's ridiculous. <laughs> He's just
0: a weird Dorito with a hammer. It's so much... <laughs>
1: It's a lot. It's very funny. Um, Anyway, his adopted sister, Caitlin, you also is have... Is
0: she his adopted sister?
1: Yes, her... So, like, her family is her his patrons, basically. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Um, uh, I, you know, I like Caitlin a lot, you know, despite the fact that she's a cop, I think she, she's a very interesting and, like, cool character, because we get to see, like, oh, she's, you know, like, a privileged person, but also trying to get away, you know, trying to you know, get a distance herself from her rich family and become you know somebody who actually gets to help people um and like she's also um like canonically we see her parents so we know she's biracial she's a biracial uh, east asian person which i think is great uh we love biracial characters um and um you know she there's a very good scene where like they have to infiltrate a brothel um like Vi- violet and-, and caitlin do and like violet's just like uh yeah you just gotta be hot cupcake you know give them what they want and then like she like throws him you know to talk with like this guy and she's like oh have you i'd love to talk about things with men this is great and then like violet goes to go interrogate someone and when she comes back she like sees caitlin completely relaxed like totally charming this woman who is at the brothel and we're like oh that that's why she couldn't talk to the man i see uh which which is great and like you know i i think maybe that there is some valid you know criticism that the victor jace stuff is queer baiting i i don't think you can apply that criticism to to caitlin and violet
0: no there are too many like longing chin touches and uh, not denying uh, Jinx when she calls uh, Caitlyn Vi's girlfriend. That's mm-hmm. like, that's they're gay. It's fine. I love it for them. Honestly, I was so excited. Um, justice for Caitlyn, though, uh, give her pants. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, she does have a skirt, which is weird. Uh, a she, ruffly
0: skirt that is shorter in the front than it is in the back. And she's a cop. Um, she's a
1: sniper cop. Like, she she doesn't need that. <laughs>
0: she absolutely does. Also, she's doing, like, parkour with Vi. It's just, you know, it really, every time I saw the skirt, it sent me to hell. Every (laughs) single time I saw the skirt, it sent me to hell. And it made me think of, um, like, an evil inverse version of Yuna's outfit from Final Fantasy
1: X2. Um, Uh, Yes, (laughs) instead of being cool (laughs) and, and, like, anti-pope-like, it's...
0: um... (laughs) Pro-pope skirt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's a clergy skirt i hate uh, it it's so yeah. bad yeah
1: i mean i uh, like like you said this is just you know her her character in in league of legends had a skirt um so i guess they had to do this too which is just the limitation of like we were saying having original existing ip can't win them all um <laughs> do you want to talk any more about victor gay yeah he's yeah. he's pretty gay
0: Gay, sad. Um,
1: they, they try to do a thing with his assistant where they, they like, you know, they, they like, have her die when he activates the Hextech core, um, and, like, he tries to, like, they try to make it seem like he was very sad, but, like, in the past, like, four scenes with her, he was always ignoring her and, like, looking longingly at Jace, so, like, I don't love that, that particular beat, but... If it's you fine. want your
0: scientists to appear less gay, have them do a little bit less longing staring at each other's chiseled jaws or whatever. And a little more longing staring at their science projects. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, I didn't like the sky beat either. Sky deserved better justice for sky. Um, it? I do... I, I, you and I both made a note of it, but... Um, there's a scene that I thought was really well done in episode five, I think, where it opens with Victor's sad orphan backstory because everyone has one. Um, and he had built this little boat and he sends it down a river and then has to chase after it. And like he can't because his leg is, is, you know, he's disabled, he has a cane. Um, and it was just such like a neat, sad metaphor to both expose his, a little bit of his backstory to like give the sense that he's always been like this um, and also just be a really like, beautiful lead-in to the fact that his inventions lead him to dangerous places and go past his control and he'll follow them anywhere um including to go study with a man in a cave which when that happened all i could think of like him re- handing his resume into the academy to apply <laughs> it's like oh victor you've achieved so much it's, it does say here you studied with man in cave <laughs> would you care to elaborate um, uh, yes
1: he has a big salamander i'm sure you've heard of him <laughs>
0: Oh, I love the salamander. Justice for the salamander. Also, a lot of of animals. Justice for the salamander, for the crow that Jinx shoots, and also for the Sphinx cat in the beginning. Yeah,
1: yeah, a lot, a lot of poor animals that don't deserve to be in this gritty world.
0: For real, but yeah, those are my thoughts on Victor. I think he's, I think he's well done. Um, I wish we saw a little bit more of him, um, just like as an independent actor or maybe his relationship to anyone but Jace. Um, but yeah, I think it's pretty good.
1: Um so let's talk about the pro or the biggest antagonist silco um i again i feel like silco is a complicated one because like we do especially in the first three episodes we get these hints at his backstory with vander and how like they used to be like brothers and they used to have this united dream of you know making the undercity strong against piltover um but, like, they never say that explicitly, so I, I was a little bit shocked when, at like, like later on in the, the series, they were like, oh, yeah, I want independence for the understudy. I was like, that was never, it was hinted at, certainly, but it was never explicitly articulated, which, you know, maybe that's on me as, as being an inattentive viewer. But uh, his motivations did confuse me uh, the whole time, but also I, I think that his relationship with Jinx was very believable, and I, and I thought it made his character pretty strong.
0: Yeah, um, I really like Silco because, first of all, he's a stunt queen. We all know I love a stunt queen. He walks into a meeting just to gas people to make a point.
1: Yeah. He wasn't there's... even
0: trying to, like, actually hurt them. <laughs> he, just...
1: <laughs> he was just like, don't fucking come for me.
0: <laughs> he just wanted to make a point. He gassed them for emphasis. It was a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think his, his relationship to Jinx is really believable because he acts out of love for her without her there. So he, like, actively goes against the interests of all the other people around him and calls her his daughter. Um, So it is, like, genuinely believable. And I really liked it. Um, I think that the thing you spoke to in terms of, like, not knowing that Zahn was going to separate was something I noticed when I was, like, going over both of our notes, um, which is, like, you and I both caught, like, different nuances in the scripts. Like, you and I both missed plot points. Like, I missed Sky's name. Um, You missed the Zahn thing. And I think... In trying to be so layered and so complicated, like, this show does forget to explicitly state some things for the audience, which you just kind of need to do, especially in a franchise that's so busy. Like, the biggest thing you and I came away with, we don't know what magic in this world does. Like, at all.
1: We've seen it can teleport stuff, and we've seen it can turn into weapons, and, like, maybe that's all you need, but um, it was definitely something. We'll talk about it later on in, in the show, but, yeah, it was definitely a strange thing.
0: Yeah, so it's, like, just part of a larger pattern in terms of um, that. Um, so a subnote under Silco is Savika. Uh, justice for Savika
1: yeah savika is uh, silko's like right hand a woman um who he basically just makes do all his shitty chores um she's really cool and has a kukri knife and basically gets the shit beaten out of her twice by violet um and there's a part where like a bunch of people are like hey savika you should take over Silco's drug empire because he's failing and being bad at it and she sticks with him and i just like girl you deserve better you you needed a promotion uh huh <sighs> I- Sorry, Savika. R.I.P.
0: R.I.P. She she uh, um, jumped in front of a bomb for him, and he was still rude to her. She, I think she should have she should have betrayed him. But you know, one hundred percent. That's that's what loyalty gets you. Um, girl boss time. This is the girl boss section.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah! Here we go.
0: Mel Medarda, how do you feel about her?
1: I I think so. In your notes, you criticized her for being like kind of passive and not really having explicit motivations which later on get more well articulated as, as the show develops but you know I I really liked her I thought it was very interesting that that like her whole thing was like you know I see jace I'm gonna elevate him make him my protege and invest in his hex tech and that's gonna make me rich um I liked the you know I think the relationship between them is is fine um but yeah like seeing her as somebody especially those last two episodes when we meet her mom and we realize like what her whole thing is which is like always trying to find a diplomatic solution and like understanding the reality of like violent conflict um i thought she was really cool um yeah like you said girl boss supreme
0: yeah girl boss for sure um yeah i think i had i had like a couple hours to think on it after the last couple of episodes and i don't think it's that necessarily she's passive i think that the story doesn't challenge her directly until the last two episodes they she is an element in everyone else's challenges but she does not get her own challenge so it's hard to piece together what she wants other than approval from her family Um, and it's also hard to piece together her, like, genuine motivations towards Jace or the way she feels about, um, literally anybody else, including Heimerdinger, who she has some relationship with. Um, and, like, even in a scene uh, when they were deciding whether or not to weaponize Hextech, um, she was literally standing in a room with Victor and never addressed him directly. There is no way that they don't have some sort of speaking relationship. Um so it was just odd It it's again speaks a larger pattern in us in the series with like i think it needed one more episode i really do and and it just needed to let some things breathe and i think mel was maybe the one in, in most desperate need of that
1: uh yes but um if she sur- I, I really, really sincerely hope she survives the attack at the end of the this series. I'm going to be pissed if she's dead.
0: Oh, I'm going to be furious if she's dead. She but, rules.
1: But one character I know is going to be around is her mom, Ambessa Medarda, who fucking rules. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, go ahead and read what your note is in our outline. Uh, go ahead.
1: Biggest pussy energy in this show. I love her. Um, basically she comes in at episode eight of nine, which is a wild thing to do, uh, <laughs> narratively speaking, but they're like, Hey, you know, this important character, here's her hot mom who's old and like got scars everywhere. Um, and also is like here to cause here to fuck and cause diplomatic problems. And she's all out of diplomatic problems. <laughs> and like the, the best, the best way they introduce her is they first have this like flashback where they show her like, you know, telling you know, Mel. Like, hey, we we we're not supposed to have mercy, um, you know. And she executes a prisoner right in front of Mel to show, like, hey, this is this is how I how I go. I, I rule. I don't have any mercy. Uh, and then we cut to this, like, you know, twenty years later, where she's like visiting Mel in in this big city, you know, because she's she's from a different country. Um, and she comes in, and she's just like, okay, yeah, I'm here to here to visit and you know talk about diplomacy with you, Mel. But in the mean, she the the line that Mel says is she's like well mom I'm sure you didn't come halfway across the world to just sample the local cuisine uh, you know and they go back and forth and then they, they separate and you know she's like I'll see you later and then this fucking blimp uh, rolls up and this like little what described <laughs> as <laughs> howls movable snack um this very skinny attractive young white man uh says miss madarda and both of them go yes and then her mom goes uh he's for me. Uh, and then she's like, um, you know, I'll, I'll see you later, Mel. I'm about to sample the local cuisine, and runs her hand across his face, uh, and then, like, later we see, like, he's giving her massages, and she's, like, fully nude. She meets Jace fully nude in a bathtub, while this guy is, like, giving her a massage, and, like, she just, like, does not give a fuck. She is so cool. I love Ambessa Medarda.
0: She rules so fucking much, uh, yeah, shout out to Howl's Moving Snack for the most <coughs> effective character intro. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he looks so wounded when uh, Mel spills wine. <laughs> yeah, he looks so sad. <laughs> I, love, I love Ambessa and whoever this motherfucker
1: is. I want more of him. To get a
0: name. And <laughs> I don't want a name. I, I'm just going to call him Howl's Moving Snack for the rest of time. Um... Digger is too cute to be running anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's a he's one of the very few like non-human species um in in this world, and it's very strange. But like, basically, we his his backstory is that like he lives like hundreds and hundreds of years, so like he saw what happened to the world the last time, like this hex tech technology was harnessed and used. Um, and he. He's just, like, a little guy. Like, he has a big mustache. Um, and we'll talk about his his face uh, in the second half of the show. Um, but, like, yeah, his whole thing is just being, like, you got to be really careful. Uh, how about you, you know, give it another ten years. Things, things take time. You got to always be patient. And while everyone else is like, bro, people are dying. You have to do something. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I liked him. He's cute. He has a little cute weird dog. <laughs>
0: I like his weird dog a lot. I like Heimerdinger. He's good. Um, I couldn't take him seriously because his character intro is him going to see Jason Victor and he's scurrying so fast that his own head almost tips him over. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, Vander would not die.
1: Yeah, he's, I think he does a fine job of being like the protective dad who, you know, runs a bar and, and holds the Undercity together. Um, but at the very end we're like, you know, they're trying to track down uh Violet and Powder, the bad guys are. He gets captured by Silco. There's like this big fight between, you know, them and Silco and Vander gets like stabbed and has like a building dropped on him and gets injected with evil drugs and like he still does not die until like the very end of that. And it's like this dude is just holding on by the power of pure fatherhood and i have to respect that
0: i, I also respect it um yeah i knew he was gonna die um because like how mm-hmm. else is Silco gonna get his hands on drinks? you know yeah um and uh i just kept waiting for it and you know it was when the rat boy attacked him i was like oh he's dead then he wasn't dead and then you know all the other shit happens and then every single time i was like he's dead and then he wasn't dead it truly built different
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. built different
0: man um yep. I love him though. He's great. Uh, he's also hot. I feel like I should mention that. He's great.
1: Right. <laughs> he's a sad um, dad. The listeners know what yeah, your style it's, is.
0: It's yeah. You know, he's protective. It's fine. Um Milo and Clagor um ripped ripped to two legends.
1: Yeah, I think like they're only in 3 episodes, but I think they do it a very effective job of characterizing the other characters. They're they per- I mean, they're red shirts. Their purpose is to be killed. Um but, like, I think, like, I don't think they're fridged. Like, I think they, they got to be, like, pretty relatively complete characters that that helped the audience understand the circumstances of, you know, not only just the Undercity, but Violet and Powder's relationship. Um, and then, like, when they both are killed by by Powder, like, you feel it. Um, and, like, their, you know, their presence as, you know, psychotic um, manifestations you know, it is still is impactful to the audience. So like, you know, pretty good job.
0: Uh, next up was echo.
1: Um, yeah, I liked echo a lot again. I, I feel like I, I hope we get more of him in season two. Um, there's a really, really cool fight sequence between him and jinx at the end of one episode. Like the style gets all different for no reason. And I love it. It fucks. Um, but yeah, he's like a cool skateboarder dude. Um, he's a really cute little kid in the first three episodes. So I think it's great.
0: Now, want to introduce your favorite character?
1: Now there is uh, m- people who've been listening to Mortified for a long time will know that actually uh, this is this is all related to the Mortiverse um, <laughs> because uh, the subjects of I want to say our second or third episode do appear as themselves in Arcane. It's Magic Dragons, everybody. <laughs> it's- so
0: the intro is Enemy, right? The intro is Imagine Dragons. I was like, oh, LOL, I'm imagining dragons. And then we go through a couple episodes and then I hear Enemy again. I go, oh, I'm imagining dragons again. And then they cut to them <laughs> playing
1: it in the show and I was like, the dragons are diegetic! <laughs> <laughs> they have, like... You know, League of Legends, Arcane, stylized, Imagine Dragons playing a set at the bar, and it's just like, okay, sure, we're
0: here. <laughs> oh my God, it was so much. I, what a beautiful choice. Um, Imagine Dragons as themselves. The <laughs> <laughs> moving snack is not the episode title. That might be. <laughs>
1: Oh my Christ. That is a pretty good segue into the second half of our show where we talk about world building because that you were making a world building choice by putting Imagine of dragons in <laughs> canon in your universe.
0: Oh, please keep making it. <laughs> I do wish they had a different song.
1: You don't like enemy?
0: I think it's fine. They have better ones.
1: It is fine. But like, I mean, that's the thing. Imagine Dragons has been working for League of Legends for a long time. So like, you know what? Good for them. I'm glad they were able to keep the brand intact.
0: Yeah, Riot really called up all their old friends because Fortiche, the studio behind this, also has done a ton of work for them. So they were like, hey, dragons, Fortiche, we're doing it. <laughs> Get ready. All that money people are spending on skins. Guess what? <laughs> Write me a show about lesbians, which is great.
1: Uh, yeah. Power to Fortiche. Um, but yeah, like, so we, we both, you know, pointed out some interesting details about the, the world building of this specifically, I I think, you know, a lot of the positive reviews talked about how they were able to take the, the steampunk genre and add this like sci-fi magic twist on it and make it like interesting and new. Um, and I think that like, well, I don't think it's that new from steampunk. I think it's new enough that it gives it like a different coat of paint and I like it well enough. Um, but, like, there are some really, really fun bits of world building. Like, when everybody votes in the council, they have this big, stupid, like, who wants to be a millionaire ass spotlight that comes on. When everybody, whenever a counselor raises their hand, and, like shines down on them to show that they're like making a vote. I think that's really fun. Um, when Vi and Caitlyn go to the Undercity, like, the first thing Vi does after she gets out of prison is go to like this food stand and she just eats this big, bowl of slimy worms and she's like this is just as good as I remember I just love that trope where somebody's eating something that looks gross and loves it Um, and then probably my favorite bit of world building is of course in the concert (laughs) hall if you want to explain that (laughs) way so
0: listen i get what they were going for it was this uh 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 they're playing a concerto in the concert hall and it was like clearly some sort of stringed instrument that was supposed to have its own amplifier attached to it but it did just look like a violin and a tuba mesh together so we are calling it the voluba
1: i love the voluba i think it's great
0: <laughs> voluba supremacy also, they clearly got like a ton of reference footage of somebody actually playing a violin because it was very very believable
1: yeah no i mean this show looks great uh i i don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone but um you you made a note about like how to make uh fantasy worlds feel familiar specifically with their holidays technology and traditions and like i pointed out so there's like a point where where a character dies um and they do a 21 gun salute which is like not a thing outside of our i, I mean i don't know maybe aliens have a 21 gun salute but like it doesn't make sense for it to be in a world world that's not our world but they include it anyway um another thing they do is they have their holiday um on progress day which is the, the birthday of piltover which i, I think happens a lot there's like uh, i need a holiday let's just make it the city's founding day um which i feel they probably could have done something more interesting with but like i, I think you're not wrong in making the note that like sometimes you have to make these these world building touchstones feel familiar to the reader even if they don't necessarily make sense uh in universe
0: yeah, I mean, like we can even draw from the 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 Adventure Zone, right? We can we can draw from that, like Candle Nights, right? Every every single property, well not everyone, but most properties have some sort of winter holiday and it usually involves some sort of gift giving. There's also a lot of holidays centered around the harvest that's like Thanksgiving-esque. Um, but it really, uh, you know, you want to celebrate things like New Year's. I actually don't even mind the Progress Day thing because I think it's in character for a city whose main institution is a, a, an academy. Um, to kind of have a science fair birthday party you know um but yeah I think that when you're when you're making a fictional world you kind of want something that you don't have to explain to the audience sometimes um so I agree with you like on the 21 gun salute made really no sense for it to be in there. You could have had any other tradition. I also noticed that um they threw the first handful of dirt into the grave, which is also a tradition from like our world. Um I think maybe Grayson's funeral, which again ripped to a legend, we didn't even talk about Grayson. She was cool.
1: Um
0: but uh know Grayson or Marcus. They were cops. Um one is a good cop, one's a backup. Um But, you know, I think maybe the funeral would have been a good place to, like, experiment a little bit with those traditions. Um, But, yeah, um, you know, it's just one of those things, like, you and I both write fantasy. Um, There's a ton of places to introduce new stuff. Like, I think they could have spent a little bit more time, again, explaining magic to us a little bit. Um, Just, like, its capability, its capacity. Is it just, like... Because they treat Hextech like a battery, so is it just that? Is it just power, you know, that could do different things with different... It was very, like, vague, um, which is odd when you have two scientist characters who you would, like, hope would explain it to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um But, um, you know, it, it, just like it's important for characters to be relatable. It's also important for worlds to be relatable, especially science... or any sort of, like, science fiction fantasy world, because that's where a lot of people feel lost, especially if their first introduction to a science fiction or fantasy setting is something like Dune, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, um, you know, any of those, like, big titles uh, where you, like, have no point of reference and all anybody ever talks about is these, like, hyper-detailed minutiae of the lore. Um, I think that's part of the reason a lot of these, like, actual play D&D podcasts are so um, big now, because the DM controls the flow of information and also the characters talk in a way that's relatable. Um, So, yeah, I I, I think all of that just, just goes back into, like, I think that it's important to have those touchstones that tie your world to our world, but I'm not sure if Arcane necessarily picked the right ones,
1: yeah yeah i mean like you're saying i think it's probably fine that they kept like the you know the 21 gun salute like i think it's weird but like like you said like they're trying to do a lot a lot a lot a lot of world building and and juggling characters and sometimes it's just easier to use those visual and and narrative shorthands to to get across the significance of a moment um but yeah, I do I do hope that in Season 2 they'll, they'll experiment a little more and do some more weird shit because you know clearly it's a weird fantastical world and I want to see more um, inventive ideas coming out of that. Um, but I mean, that comes into our next point, which is like there's so many moving parts in this, like and and sometimes that gets caught like they get caught on each other or they get left out. Like we talked about earlier, like how we didn't understand the Nation of Zon bit um, or like the Hextech weaponry for instance, like i didn't think that they had the like everybody was like oh we got to get the crystal the crystal's been stolen we got to get it back it's really important um and like i didn't really understand the significance of the crystal i know they were like basically referencing how they could be dangerous i mean they fucking blew up a building in the first episode so like we know they're dangerous but like between the hex core and jace's experimentation with the the stuff like it didn't seem like they had weaponized it yet So when he comes on screen with a big fucking laser hammer, I was like, oh, that's a little surprising to me. Um, And and, and like, I I mean, if you look back at our notes, you know, you can piece it together. Um, But I do think that that is a weakness in Arcane, which is that like sometimes because they have fucking 15 different characters, things fall through the cracks.
0: Yeah. Um, You and I both thought uh, episode five was probably the weakest And it's really genuinely because, like, you start out just cutting between Vi and Powder and, um, Victor and Jace with, like, cameos from Vance to, like, spice it up sometimes. So, it's a pretty easy to, like, back-and-forth scenario you can switch through. Episode 5, you have, you end up with Victor going solo, Jace and Mal, um... Powder on her own and Vi and Caitlyn. So you're keeping up with four scenarios and they do this wild fucking shit where Jace and Mel fuck. All right, they finally, they finally get it on um, and they're trying to cut Jace and Mel fucking with Victor dying. And the hex core absorbing his blood. And, like, I get what they were, I think, trying to go for. Which was, like, this montage of, like, all the, um, like, core elements of life. You know, like, sex, blood, and magic kind of thing. All, like, swirling together. It ended up in, like, a space orgasm. I did love it. It felt wild to me. Um... And then, when they cut to Vi and Caitlin, they cut Im- immediately back into My enemy. So it's mm-hmm. like the imagine the dragons get imagined with Vi and Caitlyn. <laughs> And then they start the song, and then the song abruptly gets cut out to go to one of the other motherfuckers. And then when you come back to Vi and Caitlyn, you're back to Imagining Dragons while Jace is going down on Mel's pussy. Like, I... It was ambitious.
1: Listeners, which Imagine Dragons song (laughs) should you go down on your partner (laughs) to? Write in. Let us know. Enemy. Um yeah Unhashed. but I, I think that there is a, a problem especially in episode five of them cutting between too many things at once um and, and it could become disjointed but again, you know they, they sometimes they drop the balls, but generally I do feel like Arcane does a pretty good job of juggling them so yeah, uh, I
0: mean they've got a lot of you know, they're juggling a lot like it, it's 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 an admirable job I really yeah. I really think that they did a fantastic job uh visually and because uh, the editing's really, really cool. Um, the writing's incredibly cohesive. Like it's just a genuinely really well written show. And I feel like at this point, a lot of our criticisms are so, um, we're, I think I think this is a rare opportunity for us where we're like allowed to be nuanced and like actually kind of dig in um, because the things that are off aren't off in an obvious way. Um, it's just constraints. Like the, literally, the only thing we're genuinely criticizing are the constraints they were working under.
1: Yeah, like I, I think this is a very, very impressive technical program, and we have to respect that. Um, as far as the the writing goes, I think you pointed out something very interesting, which is that at least this first season of Arcane centered a lot around revenge stories, specifically the revenge stories of Silco on on Vander. And Jinx uh, seeking revenge on Powder uh, and just like you know the top side of Piltover in general, um, you know I was just wondering what you thought about like why it worked in Arcane.
0: Right, I think that um, a lot of revenge stories um, kind of glossed over this, but I, th- I think that they did a really good job, especially with Silco and Vander, of like for the injured party trying to get revenge. Time stops for the injurer their life goes on so especially for silco like when he approaches vander um as all this is going on you could tell vander's fully moved past like yeah he still has the thing on his arm and he has the scar and he remembers silco and he's he's like sad about having to do that to his his brother um but he has a different life now meanwhile silco has been waiting for an opportunity um to get back at him Um, and it's kind of the same thing with Powder, and I just, again, like, really, really good, like, nuanced, um, a nuanced approach to a revenge story, because, like, even with these characters' motivations and, like, some of them actively trying to hurt each other, Silco still goes to talk to Vander's statue at the end, you know? Um, so a lot of these relationships are, like, lasting and, and... There, nothing, nothing is certain and nothing is totalitarian, or not totalitarian, nothing is, like, ever fully severed between any of these people. Um, So, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really well done. Uh, It was really refreshing to see, um, like, genuine complexity in in a lot of these characters.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And, you know, before we begin to transition to the the end of our show i do want to get your craft corner uh segment specifically um you talked you tweeted about this shot of um heimerdinger's face and like you talked about how like that this level of like detail and complexity and composition of this one character had to be a meeting um and i'd really like to hear your thoughts on that
0: yeah. Okay, so My Craft Corner, really briefly, um, I like to play a game. I used to have film student critic brain, which is like uh, when you're a film student, you just nitpick everything to hell and you're no longer fun to watch anything with. Um, I'm done with that. You know, I'm no longer film student critic brain. I have meeting brain now. Um, I will look at a minor detail and I will go, that was a meeting. And Heimerdinger's face was a meeting, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, he's not human, and uh, all of the lead characters in this are human. Um And when you have fur in a stylized show, you need to decide how you're going to approach it. So there was definitely a meeting where several stakeholders sat down with several approaches to this fur and they had to like figure it out and fight it out with some tech people. I guarantee it. It's the only thing I could think about anytime Heimerdinger moved. I'm like, somebody was, there was a meeting about how much this fur was supposed to move. For sure. And how it reflected light and how much further was 100,000%. Um, the other part of my craft corner is as such, I hate Disney. Um, this, this, um, the corporation, not the artists that work for It's there, just obviously. that we're trying to get
1: hired by them. Um, so, I mean, we, <gasps> we, do hate, to... <laughs> we do hate Disney. Like, let's be clear. We do hate Disney, but we will also accept their money.
0: <laughs> yeah, we want, we want control of Kingdom Hearts. Um, I hate here, I hate the Disney Monopoly, I think is the, the yes. better way to put that. Yes. Um, because Fortiche is a French studio. Um, I don't know how much anybody knows about the, the French animation scene, but they have, like, very good, like, beautiful experimental work that they do all the time. There's a lot of wonderful French directors working. There's a wonderful TD animation school there. Goblins is is, is fantastic. Um, I just, I couldn't help but keep thinking the entire time of, like, there are Plenty of American studios that have the creatives and the capability to make something like Arcane, but at this point, so many of them are owned by Disney who will buy up studios with the intention of making something innovative. And then, sure, the artists that work there and the art minded people that work under these companies want to push the envelope and they want to do something cool and creative, but then all the people in the C-suites care about is doing the stuff that's already been tested. And it just makes me so mad every time because Arcane is beautiful, and I think we could have so much work more work like that, but it is so hard to do when your country lives in a fucking media monopoly. So that's my craft corner for the for the episode.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do think it is, you know, it is weird to be taking the side of fucking Riot Games uh, for any reason. But, um, you know, it is it is a shame and we get so much of our media flattened by certain, you know, not just IP restrictions, but like content restrictions and, and you know, ideas of where the your particular, you know, property or not property but like business wants your media to to appeal to and apply to and yeah i just i really really liked how we got like a, a thing that is ostensibly both for kids and also like pretty out there and experimental and gritty um like one of my cousins who is like a pretty normie guy like tweeted about how he watched it with his 14 year old son and like had a, had a great time with it and i you know i'm glad that this has this kind of appeal
0: yeah, exactly. I think I think it would be great. Um, would you like to introduce your um, conceit for our marketing unit here?
1: Yeah. So, um, thinking about this, I was just so impressed that they were able to take such like what I assume I don't. I'm not into league again, but like bare bones lore for like a, a video game that is really not about the lore um and spin it off into this very nuanced and complicated netflix show and i was thinking you know what property would i like to be spun off into a netflix show um especially with regards to something that has bare bones lore as as, such as league and like this is a cop out um because uh i've just been playing a lot of this game lately but uh, I would really love just, like, one season of Inscription, um, just, like, digging into the uh, Game Funa, like, developers coding Inscription and dealing with all the weird uh, magic shit that goes on in there. Like, it doesn't have to be long. I really don't care about the uh, Carnoffle code because I read the ARG and where it ends up is very stupid. But uh, I I really liked Inscription a lot. Uh, but Layla, what would you turn into a Netflix show?
0: Give me a Xena Saga show. Give me three fucking seasons, Netflix. Do it. Do it, you cowards. Fucking do it. Dune is hot right now. You know what I could do with a Nietzsche-flavored Bible space opera? Are you fucking kidding me? With a bisexual scientist in the lead? Are you fucking joking? With a hot android who can, like, shoot lasers out of her abdomen? Netflix. Netflix, baby. You have more money than you know what to do with. I deserve some of
1: <laughs> <laughs> Netflix, call us. We've got ideas. Listen, we just said we hated Disney. We'll take your money, too. We yeah, ain't I'll picky. I'll take any
0: corporation's money. Uh, it will not make me less resentful of the capitalistic system in which uh, our media uh, environment lives. Um, but, you know, support your local artists, etc. Um, congratulations to Fortiche. This was a fucking achievement. Good job.
1: Yes, uh, 100% really, really great show. Um, and listeners, uh, for season three, we're going to try something special. Uh, Layla has gone through the work of setting up a little um, Google phone number um, that you can leave voicemail messages uh, to us for. So if you want to uh, tag, you know, call in and uh, answer the question, what property you would spin off into a Netflix show, uh especially with regards to having very little lore um you can call our hotline which is 775 573 8882 uh again that's seven seven five five seven three eight eight two. nope fuck <laughs> 8882 uh, um, and uh yeah uh we would love to hear what you have to say um and if you you leave a leave us a voice message we'll give you a shout out or something um but yeah just gonna try some new stuff in season three we'll see what fucking fucking happens this year uh but yeah i think this is, this is a banger of a first ep uh, i was really really glad we got together and watched arcane uh because was a great time
0: yeah uh, uh we actually know what we're doing next week which is rare um we actually planned ahead a little bit. Um, we are doing the new star wars trilogy next week so
1: oh boy (laughs) yep so uh yeah all that joy and um, excitedness at something new and interesting uh that will not be present in next week's episode but we will have a talk about it i'm sure um but layla when we're not raging at the media monopoly uh where else can people find us on the internet
0: Uh, You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr. Um, I'm just doing stuff, whatever happens. Uh, Aaron, where can people find you?
1: Um, You can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I talk about health policy and tabletop RPGs. Um, You can listen to the other podcasts I do at The Bible Boys. We're going to be doing an episode this week on the... um, conversion camp documentary pray away so if you want something extremely grim uh check that out um our theme song is obsolete by keshko from the album filmmakers reference kit volume two you can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com Layla, as we send our listeners off uh, into season three what do we always say at the end of every episode
0: try not to lose your nuts
1: (laughs) we'll see you next week